Well, what a great story of life change. Hi, everybody. My name is Doug Fields, and I used to be a visitor here, I, but I think this is like my seventh time here this fall, so I don't, can I not be a visitor anymore? Is that all right? All right. I mean, I'm still, you know, a, a visitor, but I just, I feel like, uh, I feel this is more home. Yeah. This nine o'clock service is, is awesome and weird at the same time. Let me tell you why you're awesome and weird at the same time is that today I was, I was running late, um, but apparently, no matter how late I am at the 9 o'clock service, I still beat most of you. <laughs> I got here at 5 till 9, all panicky and stressed. I'm like, I got one of the best parking spots right there. This is great, 9 o'clock, I love you guys. You're like, ah, we'll get there one of these days. Uh, so it is great. I'm excited to be here for the next three weeks as we start this new series, Comfort and Joy. I'm excited to be here on Christmas Eve. I love the fact that on Christmas Christmas Eve, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, all five o'clock. Very easy to remember. Those of you, you know, on the 23rd, Sunday, there won't be nine o'clock church, so you can sleep in even more than you normally do on Sunday mornings. But I, I'm excited. What do you just give me a couple words so I know you're alive? Because when Cole was up here talking to you, I actually thought you were dead. Uh, give me just what do you like about Christmas? Talk to me. Food, joy. Family, Christmas lights, music, presents, cookies, time off. Apparently, no one's excited about Jesus, but that's all right. I'm, you know, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad. That's maybe why I'm here today. I don't know. Who knows? But you know, you know I love Christmas time, but it has. I've got to be honest with you. It hasn't always been like that. When I was a, a child, I didn't love Christmas. And the reason I didn't love Christmas, I know that's weird, but my parents favored, the, uh, there's three of us, uh, girl, boy, girl in our family, and my, my sister was totally favored. Christmas was all about her. Everywhere you went, it was about her. Her name was Noelle. Yeah, so as a little kid, I was thinking, now here's what my parents do. They name my sister Noelle, which says Christmas. And when you said Noelle, you had to give her a gift. Hi, Noelle. You know, it was just one of those types of, uh, of things. And, and the weird thing is she was born in early November. I was born December 30th, five days after our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not asking for Emmanuel, but, you know, Joseph, I'd have settled for Rudolph, but, you know, I got, I got Douglas, okay? <laughs> which is a mild form of child abuse, because it, it, it's like my parents are saying, could we not have dug you any less? And so, yeah, oh, I know, I know, it still hurts, it comes up in therapy. But, uh, and then they like my, my little sister, the second best, because she was what? The baby, yeah. Everybody loved my little sister, Beth Lahem. So... <laughs> Now, I realize that, you know, my Christmas pain is, is minor in comparison to some of the pain that's in this room. It's amazing to me. It's really actually ironic that during Christmas time, it intensifies pain. That if you felt empty before during Christmas, you feel more empty. If you felt lonely, you feel more lonely. Whatever that 
feeling is, whatever pain is in your life, the Christmas season tends to magnify it. Even though we shout out things that we love about it, there's something about the season that just intensifies the pain. So really, where do you go in the midst of all of this pain? What do you, what do, you do with it? Because let's be honest, the lame cliches that people throw at us in the midst of pain, those are not helpful. Well, it just, it just isn't meant to, it isn't meant to be. Everything happens for a reason. Okay, those are too weak. Those don't help with the very real problems that are sitting in this room. For some of you that want to get pregnant and you can't. For those of you that have lost a job and that was your sole source of security. For some of you that have a child who is, is either hurting or, or wayward or there's been a tragedy in your house or a loss of a loved one, what do you do with that pain? Especially in this time when, when it's all intensified. Really, it forces a very, a very good question. Where is God in the midst of all of this pain? And thankfully... Christmas answers it. We're going to take a look at one slice of the Christmas story. If you have your Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 1. If not, pull out your outline and the verses and kind of some of the main talking points are are there. We're going to look at this one slice and just let me give you a little context. What we're going to read is right after Mary tells Joseph that she's pregnant. Which, let's be honest, that had to be an uncomfortable conversation, right? Don't you think that Mary's like, ah, Joseph, <laughs> I'm pregnant with God's baby, okay? You know, do you think Joseph was like, oh, splendid, Mary. Let's celebrate with tea and crumpets because obviously I'm British, which is the only voice I really know how to do. Uh, but no, they needed, they needed some divine help. And in the midst of that divine help, here's where the angel of God appears to Joseph to kind of drive the point home, like, hey, hey this, this is a big deal. Starting in verse 20. But after he, Joseph, had considered this, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets, quote, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. Now, the Christmas story does not really read with the same cuteness as, as you, you know, you kind of see the nativity scene and you go, ah, Christmas. But, you know, it doesn't have the same kind of feeling when you were to sit down with a kid and read him a story, you know, hey. Once upon a time, there was this handsome Nazarene man who married a virgin. What's a virgin, Daddy? Ask your mother. Okay, you know, it it reads like this historical event because it was a historical event. 
And there's not all this happily ever after language. Really, when you look at the Christmas story, there's a lot of pain. But most of the times, we kind of read it through our sparkly eyes, and we miss some of the drama and the pain that that is around that. I mean, Mary and Joseph were engaged. They had dreams. They probably talked about the future and what their future was going to be like, and maybe had it a little bit mapped out. In the book of Luke, where you get a lot of the details of the Christmas story, God comes to Mary and actually says, you are a favored one. That's the term that he's used, Mary, you're the the favored one. And you're going to give birth, even though you're you're just engaged and you haven't consummated that relationship, you're going to give birth and that child is going to be the savior of the world. He's going to be the king. You're going to deliver, Mary, the deliverer of, of all. Now, I mean, that just, just that alone has to be mind-blowing. Then Mary and Joseph have to, how do they explain that to people? How do you explain that to, you know, let's, family, family, come here, come here. <laughs> we have an announcement to make. <clears throat> Joseph, do you want to tell, no, I didn't have anything to do with this. I, you know, I'm not telling him. <laughs> You're on stage. Well, um, I'm pregnant. <laughs> Mom, I swear, all we did was kiss. Mom's thinking, that was some heck of a kiss. You know, how do you, how do you explain all of that's happened? Like, hey, angels, show up and, and frighten these people too and let them know that, that all is, is okay. And the story doesn't really get better as you find that there's a census that has to be taken and they have to, they have to travel about 70 miles to fulfill this census. And the Bible says, ladies, you'll love this, that Mary was obviously pregnant when they traveled. I wish all pregnant women were obviously pregnant. Okay. Has anybody in here done like me and asked somebody when they were due and they weren't pregnant? Anybody? Okay, a couple, okay? I've done it twice. Twice. Now, I promise you, I will never, ever ask anybody for the rest of my life if they're pregnant. You could be 10 months pregnant with limbs protruding through your skin, and I'm just going to go, hey, how are you? Yeah, you're going to have to come up and say, hey, Doug, we're pregnant. Then I'll go, wow, I kind of thought. Uh, But... You know, so obviously pregnant on this seven, you know, 70 mile journey that would have taken about five to six days, depending on road conditions and weather and donkey speed and all that type of stuff. And then they get there and apparently Tom Bodet did not leave the light on for them because there was no Motel 6. So they have to go out into a, a stable and saddle sore now. Mary's going, favored one? This is what happens to favored ones? What is this all about, God? And then even when Jesus is born, they got to go on the run. Because King Herod got threatened by all this talk about another king being around. And so now they have to flee and they can't even go back to their their hometown. I mean, as I read this, I can almost kind of hear Mary's cry. God, where are you? What's all this about? This doesn't seem fair. This isn't what I signed up for. I can't believe you're doing this to me. See, the Christmas story seems so cute and tranquil, but it's really one surrounded by a lot of pain. Really, much like our lives. So really the question, and I think it's a good question, where do we go with all of that pain 
and all of that discomfort and questions and confusion. Is there any hope? Well, there is hope. And that's what we hang on to. And that hope actually is found in the text that we read. It, it was in one word defined by three words. It's one big word, and it's this. Emmanuel. Emmanuel. And the definition of Emmanuel is this. God with us. God with us. So track with me. The big idea is that Christmas is the presence of comfort. Let me say that again. Christmas is the presence of comfort. Say it back with me. Christmas is the presence of comfort. Now hang on because some of you are like, I'm not sure that's enough. Track with me for, for a little bit. Christmas is God saying, I'm here. Christmas is God saying, uh, I'm with you. Christmas is God saying, you're not alone. Yeah, God, but I'm hurting. I know. I'm here. But God, we can't, we can't get pregnant. I know I'm here. God, it just, my family is so whacked out. It seems like everywhere I look, somebody's in deep pain. I know. I'm, I'm here. But God, I'm so scared about the future. I know you are. I'm, I'm here. God, I'm so lonely, and Christmas seems to magnify it. I know. I'm, I'm here. Emmanuel, God is with us. Christmas is the presence of comfort. The actual Greek word for comfort, this is interesting to me, is to come alongside. To come alongside. That God became flesh in Emmanuel to comfort us, to come alongside, to be with us, to walk with us every single day, to encourage us. See, comfort is here and now. You and I don't have to go looking for it. We don't have to go running after it. When I was a kid, and I realized that young people in the audience will not understand this, but when I was a kid, we used to play outside. I know, it's, it's so weird. I mean, like, we rode bikes and just enjoyed outside. It's fascinating time. I mean, it's so old school. Uh, but, you know, there was times when we were playing, riding a bike or something, when I would get injured, and when I would get injured, I would go running for comfort. And if my dad was at the front door, I would run away from him <laughs> to look for who? Mom. Because mom was comfort. My dad, great man, but he wasn't comfort. He would say things like, shake it off, kid. <laughs> like, Dad, I can't shake it off. My scapula is protruding through my skin. Shake it off. And what would my mom say? Come here, baby. Come here. I mean, one of the first times I this shake it off, I was throwing up. I'm in the bathroom throwing up, and my dad kind of pops his head in and goes, Shake it off. That doesn't even make sense. Mom, dad doesn't make sense. Come here, baby. You see, here is the word for comfort. With mom, it was come here. With Jesus, it's I'm here. Remember a few weeks ago, I was here and we were doing this series, Greater Than. And we talked about Christ in me. Who remembers? 
All right, nine of us. Uh, it's, it hurts just a little bit. Uh, but here's why I want you to get this whole idea of Christ in me is because, friends, Jesus is here. Okay? He's, he's here. We don't have to talk about him like he's this distant deity. In Christian circles, we're terrible about this. We talk about God as if he's theory. I mean, imagine how crazy it would be if my, let's say we went out to breakfast after service and my wife is sitting right next to me and I'm talking to you like, oh, I really wish you could get to know Kathy. She's fabulous. She's beautiful. She's fun. She's wonderful. You know, and I'm, you would think I'm a nut because she's sitting right there. But we do this when we gather at church or in small groups or, or when Christians get together. We talk about Jesus as if he's, he's in Israel. And we talk to him that way. As if he's there. Fee, fi, fo, fum. I hear the prayers of a distant one. You know, it, we, we, it is so bizarre the way we treat Jesus. Comfort is God is with us. That in the midst of your pain, Jesus is whispering to you, I'm, I'm here. Now let's take this word comfort and, and just dig a little deeper into how it's used in the, the New Testament. Okay? The Apostle Paul writes an incredible amount on comfort in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, verses 3 through 7, up on the screen in your Bible if you're a fast flipper or uh, in your notes there. Starting in verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. In five verses, nine times, he uses the word comfort. There are some deep, rich theological truths in that passage. And my encouragement to you is that you would read it this week. And that you would say, okay, what, how is Jesus speaking to me in the midst of my pain about comfort? And you would read it and reflect on it. I'll share with you, I put in your notes there, four reflections that, that I pull. There's many more out of that, just what we, we came up with here. The, the first is that God with us is our true source of comfort. Verse 3 and 4, look how it describes it. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our trouble. See, when pain appears in our life, whatever your pain is, here's what we tend to do as humans. We tend to seek out comfort, almost zombie-like. And I don't know if you can relate to me here, but when I feel kind of pain or stress, or I find myself eating. Is anybody else? Am I alone? No, no, some of you are with me here. And you, we, you know, people have talked about a comfort food. For me, I have comfort foods, 
Okay, it's, it's plural. It used to be, I used to have a terrible drinking habit, Diet Coke. And I was so addicted to Diet Coke that I just want, and when I would drink it, even now, I don't drink it anymore, but now I just, I can almost, I, I, I can, I can kind of taste it. And when I would drink it, I would go, who knows? <sighs> yeah. And the people that know typically aren't Diet Coke people, you're the psycho coffee people, right? I don't do coffee. I, I don't like the, the taste of it. But I, I know the look. Like when I'm in airports and I walk by the Starbucks, I can see people. I go, oh, I recognize that look. They're all like, ah, trying to shoot up with some type of, you know, something. There, I, I, I get that, the twitching. See, most of us, here's what we do. When pain enters in, and some of us do, we don't even think that we're doing it. When pain enters in, we go after those things that will bring comfort, food, alcohol, medication, shopping, pornography. Whatever it is that is, will bring a, it, what it does is it numbs, brings me a little bit of joy. It numbs the grief and the pain and the sadness. And some of you might be going, well, Doug, those, I, I mean, what's the big deal? I mean, what's the big deal of chowing down a Big Mac or throwing back a Jack and Coke, you know, if it's going to make the pain disappear? It doesn't make the pain disappear. First of all, it it just, it numbs it momentarily. It's called a, a false comfort. And here's the big problem with false comforts, is you can't pick and choose what feelings that you numb. So what that means is that when we're numbing these feelings with these false comforts, we're numbing all feelings. So what that means is we don't experience the depth of love and joy and wonder and mystery and peace and all that God has for us for those that live with him and and follow him. The false comforts, we know they don't work. That Christmas is the presence of real comfort. So track with me for a second. Over here, we've got Emmanuel. God with us. Christ in me. When we get our life around that reality, here's what happens. We feel comfort by his presence. We have another option. The other option is over here. And it's kind of this thought that God's around. I believe in God. Yeah, yeah. God, God's around, but he's kind of this distant deity that he's not really, he, I mean, he's, he's big. He's just, he's around. And what happens, instead of pursuing comfort by his presence over here, we pursue comfort by a product. So we find some product that fits with what makes us feel good. And part of the reason we do this, I'm convinced of this, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life talking about this. I'm convinced the reason we do this is because we treat Jesus as a spiritual transaction. What that means is that at some point, we've kind of stepped across the line of faith, and we we have our spiritual receipt Heaven, eternal life, 
I know that in the future, I know that I'm going to spend time with heaven. I got this little spiritual transaction taken care of. Did it in 1987. I even remember the place. And then we take that little spiritual transaction and, and we put it in, in a safe, safe place. And then we kind of live our life almost waiting for eternal life. Totally oblivious to the fact that Jesus says, I'm in you. I'm with you. I came that you might have an abundant life. Hey, Doug, eternal life starts now. You're living on your own power in your own way, following your own rules, relying on your own products, and just waiting for eternal life. You are missing the life that I have for you. See, God with us is the real comfort, the God of all comfort. The second thing I learned in this text is that God shares in our suffering. Verse 7, it says, So also you share in our, our comfort. That when you and I are in pain, here's what we tend to think. Nobody understands. Nobody understands what I'm going through. Last week, I had, I had the flu. And it hit me like it has never hit me before. I was, I was out. I was miserable. The covers were too heavy. The pillow was too hard. The TV was too loud. The toilet was too far away. I didn't want anybody talking to me. I was just, I was in bed. I just shivering, then I'm sweating, then I'm cold, then I'm hot, and I was miserable. And I thought, this is what it feels like to die. And it went on forever. I mean, it lasted like almost a day. And I, and I, was, I, was, I was miserable. And I had just started, as I started feeling better, I just started reading this book that a friend gave me. This book called Unbroken. Has anybody read this? Okay, some of you. It's a fascinating book by the author of Seabiscuit. It's about this guy who ran in the Olympics in 1936 and then gets drafted into World War II. His plane goes down. He survives on a raft at, for 46 days lost in sea picked up in Japan, becomes a prisoner of war for over a year. I mean, it is just misery after misery after misery. And I'm reading this going, this guy knows what I'm going through. Okay. If anybody can relate to me, you laugh. You know, uh, my wife gave me, I was telling her, I go, this guy, you know, that's how I, I've been feeling. She's like, you would be the worst POW ever. Okay. Don't, don't laugh at that. She's, she was false comfort. Uh, but, you know, in this, it kind of whatever pain we're going through, no one understands. Jesus doesn't understand betrayal. You know, Jesus doesn't understand the, the, the abandonment or being forgotten or being a victim. Hey, just look at the cross whenever you think that. Look at the cross thinking that Jesus doesn't understand. And at the cross, you see the Trinitarian God who understands pain, physical pain, relational pain, emotional pain. As Emmanuel hung on the cross and said, God, why have you forsaken me? As he takes all of the sin on him, and God the Father, perfect and holy, turns his back momentarily while he takes on all of that sin. That i got to imagine around that time, people are looking at the cross going, ha, <laughs> ha. Evil is winning. That's not what happened three days later. 
Jesus defeated death. And he defeated the grip of sin on my life that makes me a prisoner to sin. So I don't have to be captive by that sin. No, on the cross. The cross says this. I know all your pain. I know all about pain. Christmas says, I'm here. The cross says, I know all about your pain. He's got us covered. The third thing I learned from this verse is that God comforts and it changes us. Verse 6, it says this, which produces in you this patient endurance. This is one of my favorite themes in the New Testament that in the midst of pain, God uses it, doesn't waste it. He uses it to, to change us. In 1 Peter 1, it says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you've had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This refined by fire is really a nice word picture for a strengthened faith. If you know how they make jewelry, you know how they make jewelry? Okay, well, you know, I make all my own jewelry. So uh, here, let me tell you. you, you put metal in fire, you heat up the fire, and as when it gets hot enough, the impurities that were around that metal begin to rise up, and the jewelry maker then scrapes off the impurities. And it's a wonderful word picture of what happens in our life. That when we enter into the fire through some type of pain in our life, our impurities rise up. And God cares deeply about your character and my character. In the midst of that heat, he begins to mold us and shape us into the character of Jesus Christ. That's his goal, for me to look like and reflect Jesus. And he doesn't cause the pain, but he uses the pain. So I know that one of the things he's working in my life is impatience. And I know this season, I'm going to be around some knuckleheads. Okay? It, I just know. I already, I'm already sensing it. And I'm going to get impatience, and it's going to rise to the top. And Jesus is going to give me a double whammy. One side is going to go, I know. <laughs> I know. I hung out with the disciples. I mean, I know what you're going through. Knucklehead. Okay, I get you, Doug. I'm there. But in the midst of that pain, he's going to begin to mold me and shape me and help me realize that as he lives in me, I live in the moment. I don't have to be wounded and hurt by these these other people. He's going to mold me. That's what he's doing with you in the midst of pain. He doesn't waste it. He comforts, and that comfort changes us. The fourth thing that we learn in this text is that a comforted, changed life can comfort others. I like this. Verse 4, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. That you receive comfort so that you can be a comfort to others. Because really, who best understands what it means to lose a job than somebody who's lost a job? Who best understands what it's like to go through the loss of a child than somebody who has lost a child? Who best understands what it feels like to be in a wounded and broken marriage than those that have been in a wounded and broken marriage. Are you tracking with me? 
Okay. Someone who has gone through it, who has received God's comfort during the most difficult times in their life. There's an interesting word I've circled in my Bible, two words. It says, so that. The, the scriptures say, I gave you comfort so that. I, gave, I comforted you in your time of need so that you have an opportunity to comfort others when they face it. I call these people been there people. They've been there. They get it. They've been there. Or as I put in your notes, wounded healers. They've been wounded, but they've also been healed of the comfort of God. They're wounded healers. Now they have a mission. I've written a lot of books to people who work with teenagers. And I currently work at the Homeward Center for Youth and Family with my friend Jim Burns, who goes to church here and speaks occasionally here. And and we do a lot of stuff with marriage and family and kids. And, and you can imagine all the people who want help with their, their kids. And the problem when I give advice <laughs> is it's not very good. Okay, Because I, I, here's the deal. It hasn't really been through fire. It's kind of theory-oriented. Because in our three kids, the youngest who's a senior, we didn't go through this whole wayward child type thing. We didn't go through the whole drugs and drinking and psycho teenage years like some of you have. And you've found comfort and grace and you have something better to offer than the experts. See, you're a wounded healer. Now, you want to talk about miscarriages, multiple miscarriages, and what it's like to have your, your hope built up and then to be in pain again. I'm your guy. I could talk about that. You want to talk about a gross disease that took my best friend and dad way too early, Parkinson's disease, that I watched this hero in my life begin to atrophy to the point where he couldn't even walk and would drool on himself, I can, I can talk that all day long because I, I, I know that. And friends, the pain that we've had in our life, that's why we need each other. This, this is a symphony of people who have been through pain. And those of you, maybe if you're investigating Christianity, you're trying to figure out who this Jesus character was, just let me let you know something about the, the church. Is The church is intended to be this symphony of people who work together as opposed to a solo act. You don't walk alone when you follow Jesus. Now, we may come and sit in a movie theater. And so in your mind, you kind of, I'm going to come in, I'm going to come in late. And, and uh, you know, I'm going to sit, and I'm going to be entertained, and then I'm going to leave. No, that's not how this works. That's not the intention, the design for you to sit and be entertained and leave. It's for you to come, to celebrate who Jesus is, to learn from his word, to engage in other people's lives, to go to Rooted and get to know what's going on here, to jump into a life group so you're rubbing shoulders with other wounded healers and you're doing life together. That's the intention of the church. That's what wounded healers do. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that you have to go through a particular crisis in order to comfort somebody. That's not what I'm saying. Okay? 
You can comfort people because you have the Spirit of God in your life. And because you have the Spirit of God, God with us, Christ in me, Emmanuel, you can bring comfort by your presence. In John 14, or John, yeah, John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said this, I will give you an advocate who will always be with you. Most Bible translates that advocate as comforter. Isn't that amazing? I'm gonna, Jesus said, I'm going to go away, but you're going to get third part of the Trinity. God, the Spirit, the advocate, the comforter. You know, a few weeks ago when I was here, actually two weeks in a row, when we were going to that Greater Than series that most of you don't remember, uh, I was telling a story about this family. This family is an amazing family. And basically I was telling the story because they, they know what it's like to really follow Jesus. And I was talking about the dad, 46 years old, three teenage kids, has cancer. And I was telling the story, and actually he showed up uh, both weeks I was speaking at this 9 o'clock service. Two weeks ago today, he died. And when I found out the news, I called the 17-year-old son, who I'm close to, has been in my house every Wednesday night for two years in my small group of uh, high school guys. And uh, I said, I'm coming over. Do you want me to bring anything? And he said, would you bring Kathy? I really want her to talk to my mom. And so I said that to Kathy. Now, Kathy doesn't know the mom, doesn't know the dad, hadn't been in the house, knows the boy. My wife's response was, absolutely. We walk in the door, and my wife didn't offer any cliches. He's in a better place, which I know that's theologically true. It's just usually not helpful in those, those moments. And all my wife did was say this, I am so sorry. I can't even imagine the pain you're going through. And as she said that, tears began to roll down my wife's face. And this woman who just hours earlier had lost the love of her life said, that means so much to me. Just your presence brings me comfort. I get chills as I say those words. Just your presence brings me comfort. It always does. See, presence wins. Presence wins. Human to human, filled with the Holy Spirit, the comforter, that I can now comfort others. Presence wins. And the presence of God in my life wins. Emmanuel, God with us. So how do we personalize this? Well, here's what I want to do. Is I want you to look at these, these three verses that I've put in your notes. And I want you to actually, I'm going to give you some space to do this. We're going to be silent for just a minute. And I want you to read over these verses. Now, before you read over them, listen to me. Is I want you to hear Jesus. And for some of you, this may be the first time. And you're going to look and say, okay, what this week I need comfort in my fears. You know, so do not fear I am with you or my fatigue. But for those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, my future, we know that all things work together. And I want you to read over those verses and just ask Jesus, would you help me see 
where I need you. And then this week, what I want to ask you to do is meditate on this verse. And meditate just means this, to chew on. That's the actual word. Meditate means to chew on. You just reflect on these verses all all week. And I also want to ask you during this time that the Spirit of God, Christ in you, Emmanuel, God with us, would bring to your mind somebody that you can comfort this week, that you can be a comforter to someone else. And I want you to write their name down. So I'm going to pray for us. Then we're going to have maybe 60 seconds for you just to kind of read over these verses. And we're just begging Jesus to, to speak to you. Okay? Let's pray together. Jesus, will you speak to your people? Will you nudge them? They've looked into your word, and now through your Holy Spirit, will you speak? Will you affirm? Will you comfort? Will you encourage? Will you love? Show us where we need you, where we need your comfort. You've said that you're a God of all comfort. You promised to comfort us in our time of need. So God, give us the profound sense that you walk next to us and that you love us. And whatever we face every day, we can say, Emmanuel, God with us, God with me. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.